0: Welcome back to the South Harbor Church Podcast. South Harbor is a part of the harbor churches which exist to help people find their way back to God. This week, our worship director, Jared, brings us a message that wrestles through what looks like Jesus being rather standoffish and offensive to a woman who comes to him asking for a miracle. As always, for more information about how you can become a part of the South Harbor Church community, stick around after the message. And now, let's head over to Jared. All right, um, today we're going to be in Matthew. Again, we've been in a year-long study of the book of Matthew. We haven't been in it for a year. We've only been in it for a few months. Last week, I think Tim said we're going to have to pick up the pace. So today's going to be one of those pick up the pace days. I got to cover like two chapters and it's just not, it's not going to happen. I'm just going to tell you right now. So we're going to zero in on a couple of stories in these chapters. Last week, Tim did some really good work for us to kind of set the stage for the land that Jesus was traveling through in these stories. And so we looked at things like the importance of roads, right? We took a look at the places where Jesus sort of began in. And then in the coming weeks, we're going to look as Jesus moves away his ministry from his hometown into an area that is primarily populated by what the Jewish people called Gentiles, right? Everybody else, basically. And then he's gonna move back at some point. And so today we're gonna look at a couple of stories as he begins that journey sort of away from his home area and into the Gentile regions. And so as we pick up our story today, uh, where we left off last week is Jesus has just um, found out that his best friend and cousin, John the Baptist, Uh, has been murdered on a whim um, by uh, King Herod and has withdrawn himself uh, into what the Bible says uh, was a deserted place. And we can assume, I think, that he was moving into those spaces in order to mourn and to process uh, this incredible loss. And one of the things that um, happens to me often when I think about Jesus is I often don't hold his humanity very well with his godness, I think sometimes I feel like, well, his godness can probably just sidestep his humanity, right, can it? Like, Jesus doesn't really get sad or really feel pain, right? I mean, he's God, he can just kind of go around that. And yet, the Bible is very clear that that's just not how Jesus operates. In fact, he almost, li- it's, it's as if he lives into his humanness in ways that really create some beauty for us to understand and acknowledge. But the reality is, is that Jesus feels he goes to parties and has fun. He weeps over his dead friends. He feels angered. Which sometimes I think many of us need to be reminded that anger in and of itself isn't bad. it's how we use it, right? He really is fully human. And it's going to be important as we read these stories today, because some of the reactions of Jesus are actually going to be described as the way he feels about the people that he comes into contact with. So hold that thought. We're going to take a look at some of those ways that Jesus interacts with people. Okay, so we're going to pick up in Matthew chapter 14 uh, and we're going to touch on um, a story here in chapter 14. So uh, it says, now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a deserted place by himself. But when the crowds heard about it, they followed him on foot from the towns. Now catch this. I don't know that Jesus actually got to go to his deserted place. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion for them and cured their sick. Kind of sounds like he got in the boat, went to leave, and then it was like, got off the boat and they were like, here we are. <laughs> Can you please heal us some more? Because I don't know, it, I don't know about you, but if some guy was like actually healing people in my neighborhood, I would follow him around, right? Uh, my back hurts, I would love it if that, I'm, okay, I'm making light of that. And yet, uh, those crowds... Are impressive, right? Um, And Jesus, I think what's important to notice is that while Jesus was trying to get away, he doesn't let the moment escape him. He doesn't miss the chance. It says he was moved with compassion, right? I think that's really critical that we catch on to, because we're going to see Jesus move in compassion over and over and over. Okay, so then what happens is they spend all day with him, and they didn't bring lunch, And so the next story in our Bible is uh, the story of the feeding of the 5,000, which we're just going to remind ourselves that there was actually way more than 5,000 people at this feeding, right? Because the the passage tells us that there was about 5,000 men, and then a little add-on says, and the women and children. So let's assume some kids (laughs) per family. You know, some people think there might have been like 15,000 people all gathered around Jesus, which is a significant crowd, (laughs) right? Now, what's important is that we don't miss the patience and the persistence of the crowd. They hang in there all day in a deserted place, so it's probably hot, and with no food. And then we see that Jesus is moved with compassion. The crowd demonstrates a faith in Jesus in this moment well, across this whole day, right? They look at Jesus and they go, he's got what we need and I'm willing to hang in there for quite some time in order to get it. Could it be that their faith that Jesus would heal their sick also included their belief that he would simply just care for their regular old daily needs? I think so, I think it's true. Of course, another part of this story is the disciples, right? And so often in these stories that we're in right now, there's kind of like two main threads going on sometimes. There's sort of like Jesus and how Jesus is and how he treats people. And then there's also like how the disciples are getting along. Um, part of the whole point of these stories is the disciples were being discipled by Jesus to become more like him. And so their, their job was to look at what he did and then to do what he did. Uh, but we run into a little problem <laughs> uh, They're struggling with their ability to do what Jesus does. And uh, in verse 15, we read, As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place, and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. And Jesus replied, They don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. Okay, can we just admit that sometimes it seems like Jesus is totally unreasonable? (laughs) Right? Five loaves, two fishes, 15,000 people. Yeah, yeah, right? Oh, And you feel for the disciples. I think they've seen Jesus do some amazing things, but they're not yet ready to believe that that same power is available to them. What I love about this exchange is Jesus' patience with his disciples. Notice, he does not be like, okay, you guys are obviously not getting it, off you go. No. And he also doesn't just do the miracle in front of them. He's not like, well, since you guys can't handle this, watch me do this amazing thing, right? Notice what happens is is that after Jesus breaks the bread and the fish and it just keeps multiplying, he gives it to the disciples to hand out. If we put ourselves in the seat of the disciple for just a moment, it's easy to get discouraged when we fail. There's a lot of times when we know what Jesus is asking us to do, or we later we look back and we go oh i see that's what jesus was asking me to do and i missed it and jesus does not like fire us from the job he does not fail us out of school he's patient and caring with us as we continue to try to figure these things out he includes them in the miracle even after they sort of get it wrong right And it's also important to remember that the disciples don't just walk away. Are we seeing the themes here? Persistence. We're hanging in there, right, as disciples and followers of Jesus. The crowds don't leave just because they're hungry. The disciples don't leave when they miss the chance for the miracle. And on just a very surface level, I feel like so many of us, we need to try to find this kind of determination, right, that hang with it, that stick with Jesus because it's worth it, Um. And we need to realize that Jesus is probably just as committed to our development as disciples as we are. I mean, I guess probably in reality, more, right? As we continue to try to process what Jesus is like, his compassion, his patience... As we try to work through these problems, you know, so oftentimes I think, I know I have this struggle too. Our culture gave us this image, the angry bearded guy in the clouds with the lightning bolt, right? Waiting to zap us when we mess up. If you didn't know, that's actually just the Greek's picture of Zeus. It's really not the God of the Bible. (laughs) Uh, That's a fun side story we don't have time for today. Jesus shows us what God is like. That's what the Bible says, that Jesus came to earth to show us what God is like in the person, the human of Jesus. God is like a patient teacher who truly desires us to learn the lessons and be the people he seems to know we can be in the power of his spirit. All right, so just a little personal story. Uh, This passage about the you give them something to eat really hit home for me Um, on my first trip to Ethiopia. uh, You know, the team is literally sitting in spaces with people who quite literally don't have enough to eat. And this verse was coming back into my mind. We, it was something that we had talked about in our pre-trip meetings. It was kind of a big deal. And there's this moment where so many of our team were moved with compassion <laughs> to do something about what was going on, to follow in the way of Jesus. And so while it's true, I can't physically like, deliver food to my friends in Ethiopia. We found a way to do that by partnering with an organization. And then when we went a year later, uh, I decided, the team decided, maybe Amy remembers, I don't know, Uh, we decided to put this verse on our shirt, this strong reminder that when the disciples came to Jesus to say, hey, what are we going to do about this big problem? And Jesus goes, you have what you need to take care of it, just do it, right? That reminder that Jesus saw power in his disciples, even when they didn't. And so the reality is, is that Jesus calls us to follow, right? He calls us to be like him, to be patient, to be compassionate, to identify needs, right? It says he stepped off the boat, he had great compassion for this need, right? He asks us to follow in those ways, and I think he meant it, right? And so often, we should probably say to ourselves that follow Jesus means to do what he does. And the question then becomes, are we willing to follow Jesus into the deserted places out of great compassion and bring healing to the needy. I know a lot of us do have great compassion and many of us have been involved in these kinds of works and I just wanna say thank you, good job, keep it up. Let's continue to be engaged in this kind of work. And if you're not engaged in this kind of activity in your life and you're curious or you're interested, I would love to talk to you about that. So would Abby. And so if you are like in that space of like, How do I go into the deserted places with great compassion and be like Jesus, and you're just not sure? We would love to connect with you and talk through how that might happen. All right, so we got to keep moving, okay? There's so much more in these stories. It was really kind of hard as I'm, like, working through this. I'm like, oh, we could spend, like, all day on three verses, but we're not going to. So we're going to do the fast forward, the time lapse on what's going to happen over the next few stories, okay? Okay. There is a real significance in the numbers, the 5,000, the five loaves, the two fishes, all kinds of significance, Old Testament references and all this other kind of fun stuff that if we had like a whole series just on this story, we could probably hit it all. just a couple chapters later, Jesus is going to do the same exact miracle uh, with another group of people with a different number in a Gentile area. And there's this whole, like, what happened? Did Matthew forget he wrote the story? And this is the same one. It's actually two different groups with two different kind of significances. The audiences would have heard kind of different things in these. Uh, the, the disciples, again, missed their chance to, like, do the miracle. Uh, and we just can't, we can't get to all that. And then what happens right after that is the story of Jesus walking on the water. And we're going to save that for a few weeks from now. So we're going to run through all of that. And then we're going to pick up. Okay, now, that was like, you know those long intros? <laughs> that was one of them. All right. So if you have a Bible, we're going to be in Matthew uh, 15. And we're going to pick up in verse 21. And we're going to read this story. And then we're going to break down what we hear. Okay, you Ready? Head nods are good. I'll take them. Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon possessed and suffering terribly. Jesus did not utter a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away. She keeps crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him, Lord, help me, she said. He replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Yes, it is, Lord, she said. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus said to her, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that Moment. All right, so first, can I just say, I really, <laughs> I really dig the, the Canaanite woman's like, persistence with Jesus, right? She really hangs in there. She is not taking no for an answer, which maybe is conflicting inside of us sometimes. I think it is for me, but I got to remember, how many times in the Bible have we seen David wrestle with God, right, in his prayer life? We saw Jacob literally physically wrestle with Jacob, Right? Or Jacob, sorry, Jacob wrestled, not with himself, with God, come on. Uh, how much did they desire to see a certain outcome that they simply wouldn't let up on God? But on the flip side, I'm gonna be honest, I wonder if I'm allowed to wrestle with God in this fashion, right? Like, doesn't God kind of get annoyed? Is he really okay if I just keep coming over and over and over, and over with the same requests. Uh, If you're a parent and your kid is like, can I please, no, can I please, no, can I please, no. Uh, If they use please, sometimes it's like, I want, no, I want, no, right? We know this, we feel this. Sometimes I wonder if maybe God sees us like this. He took my toys she hit my bell. I want a potty. I want a cookie. I want to stay up. I want, I want, I want me, 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 me. Mine, 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 mine. Now, now, now. Ugh. Okay. Hook. Yes. Oh, some real wisdom. I think it, okay. So uh, this, this part of the movie starts with why parents hate their children, (laughs) right? Uh, We're not gonna get into the story of Hook, but sometimes I wonder, I I do, I literally wonder, is that what I sound like to God? Me, 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 mine, 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 if I stay persistent in my asking of God for the healing, for the gift, for the blessing? And then we gotta ask ourselves, is that what's going on with the woman? This Canaanite woman, does Jesus see her as this Irritating, annoying person who's just demanding to get something out of Jesus. Of course, the answer's no. We're going to look at that in a second. But uh, there is something here. The disciples seem to be uh, a bit irritated, and we'll remind ourselves too. The disciples seem to get irritated with everybody who comes to Jesus. They don't want the kids coming. They don't want this lady coming. They're always like, "Get rid of these people." Uh, So they're going to learn. They're going to have to learn. But Jesus does not see her this way. Remember, for the disciples, so much of this is a learning process. Uh, It seems strange to us that Jesus would have just had compassion on this big crowd, right? He works a bunch of miracles, And then basically right after that, this lady comes to him with a pretty, I mean, pretty run-of-the-mill request for Jesus, demon uh, possession, can you please, this is a thing he's going to do a lot, and then he's like, I don't even have time for you. So what is going on here? I think the real question we got to ask is, is this the kind of thing Jesus does? When people come to him with their needs, is he the kind of person who just treats people with disdain and just like ignores them and then insults them and then... And then somehow turns the corner. Okay, let's look at this. Uh, If we back up just for a minute and we look at how Jesus treats people, and then let's take it one level deeper and say, how does Jesus treat women who come to him with their needs? I grabbed a few stories, and this is what happens. Uh, Oh, I got lost in my notes. Did I skip ahead? (laughs) Well, let's look at this anyway. Here's how Jesus responds to women. The woman at the well, he offers her living water. The woman that was caught in adultery, right? The Pharisees drag her out and we caught this woman in adultery. What does he say to her? The neither do I condemn you. Go and leave your life of sin. The woman with that bleeding issue who follows him through the crowd and touches the corner of his robe, he says, go in peace. Your suffering is over The woman who poured perfume on his feet—that the disciples were like, "Ah, she's wasting all this money." What does he say to her? "Your sins are forgiven. Go in peace." We're going to see Jesus respond this way over and over and over. So why this one time does it seem like he's really getting kind of testy with people? Okay. Well, there's something that we have to consider uh, before we sort of look at the details of this. One of the things that we haven't had time to talk a lot about in this in this part of our series has been how Jesus understood his mission on Earth. Uh, most of us are aware that Jesus, there's the big mission, the big story. Jesus came to earth to to be born, to live a life, to die on the cross, to be raised from the dead, and to offer eternal life and salvation to everybody. We're aware of that, but there's a more practical level that Jesus is operating from at this point in the story, and that is that his mission was to the people of Israel at this time. Uh, And he was really laser focused on this part of his mission at this point. If we would go back and review, we would see that basically all of his ministry interactions, all of his miracles, all these kinds of things were actually just with, to, and for the people of Israel. And the reason for that is the the short version of that story is that Jesus was the promised Messiah to Israel. God had made very specific covenants with his people. That's why we call the nation of Israel his covenant people, right? And, And up until now, his covenants had been with them. Now, we do know that eventually in the story, Jesus is gonna make a new covenant in his blood. And then he will tell his disciples to go into all the world and make disciples of every nation. But at this point, Jesus' mission is still to the nation of Israel and he doesn't seem like he's gonna give up on that very easily, which could explain why he says, I was only sent to the lost sheep of Israel, right? And then uh, as we go on, uh, we have to wrestle with this place where it seems like he's ignoring her. I don't actually think he is. Then we've got to look at this apparent insult, right? And so there's sort of this like, this moment where if we read this passage a certain way, it sounds like Jesus is trying to make like a snide comment to this lady, which just seems so out of character for Jesus. I really can't believe that that's what he's doing. And so uh, it says, he replied to her, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs, right? So, Let's talk about this reference to dogs for just a minute, okay? Um, It was true that the Jewish people used the term dog to describe Gentiles. Uh, And it wasn't a nice reference (laughs) for the most part from what I can understand. Uh, It was not common practice, in fact, basically unheard of for Jewish people to keep dogs as pets and they considered them to be something generally undesirable. And so, with purity laws and some of these other things, many Jewish people would look at people who are outside of uh, living outside of God's commands for purity, and they would generally consider them as something undesirable. The word for Greek, the word in Greek for dog uh, that we would find in our New Testament is the Greek word "kuon." However, this is not the word that Jesus uses. Jesus uses a form of the word kuan with completely different implications. The derivation he uses is kunarian, which could be translated as little dog or puppy. It's essentially a term of endearment. Because we need to remember that it was actually common for Gentiles to keep dogs as pets. And when Jesus references this whole exchange about the children's bread and the the family pet, he isn't making a cultural statement to the woman's place in a hierarchy of some sort but rather simply restating his mission. Of course, children are fed before the family pet. This doesn't mean the family pet is somehow a horrible thing to be despised, right? We need to say this again. Jesus is not making a statement on the woman's value. She isn't being equated to a family pet. He's reminding her of his mission to the people of Israel. (laughs) And then her response which is kind of genius and brilliant. Uh, And I think it helps us to see that Jesus wasn't insulting her and she doesn't take it as an insult. She does, however, take Jesus' words and flip them back on him. Uh, She says, yeah, you're right, but the family pet still gets good things from the master. Right? A thousand points for brilliant wordplay to the Canaanite lady. Not only does she not give up She actually continues the imagery Jesus gives her to press her case. Now, at this point, I do think it's also important that we consider her approach, that we consider her attitude and her posture. We asked earlier if she was the spoiled brat that Hook references why parents hate their kids. Okay, so maybe she's not an entitled child. Maybe she's just aggressive and argumentative would be easy for many of us in our imaginations, who are accustomed to power especially, to envision a passionate exchange between equals, you know, loud, in your face, everybody speaking their truth. I don't actually think that's going, I don't think that's what's going on here, and I think it's important that we take a look at that. Okay, so verse 25, uh, it simply says that she came and knelt. Okay, so right away, okay, kneeling, we, basically we all understand kneeling is a, is a, is a humble posture, right? We kind of understand that. We don't really have these kind of physical relational things in our culture, right? We don't have bowing and kneeling and some of these, these sorts of things. We sort of look at each other like we're all equals, right? But this is not the context of the first century, and I wonder if it's something that we could easily learn from. Okay, so a little bit more Greek. Ready? Ready? Anybody? Oh, good. I'm glad. All right, so what's amazing is uh, I am often as a... Okay, so I've been taking some classes at seminary the last few years, and then you can start looking at some of this stuff. It is amazing to me just how limited the English language really is, and you just bump into this all the time. So we got one word for dog, but not having that discrepancy between those two Greek words gives us a total, it's like really hard to understand the reference, right? we got the same thing going on here. It says that she knelt, uh, but the word in, in the Greek that gets translated as knelt is actually one of the words that is the, one of the most common words for worship we have in our Bible. Uh, all throughout the New Testament, this word proskineo is used. And it's a compound word, and it means, it comes from these two words. Pros means in the direction of or towards or for. And then kuneo means to kiss, So in the very ancient world, the idea of this world is that you would blow a kiss. And that was actually a worship gesture, not a romantic one. So that's hard to get your head wrapped around, right? How did we do that? But then in the first century, it was very, very common for the understanding, the idea culturally of this word was to actually get down on your knees and to kiss the ground. That's feedback. With your forehead, nope, I'm trying to have like an object lesson here, uh, with your forehead on the ground, like this. Look familiar? And yet this was the worship concept of first century believers when they read this word proskuneo, to kiss the ground in reverence. It does have some other meanings, so I'll be honest about that. But this picture seems really critical at this point in time. To fall down to adore on one's knees. This is not somebody who's demanding a result. She does not come to Jesus with like, you give me this or else. She comes in passion but humility total submission and she has incredible faith that Jesus can work this miracle she has incredible boldness and persistence she's not letting up and she comes with passionate humility to Jesus humility and persistence together One of those hard both and things that often comes in our Christian life. And then the thing that sets the whole ball rolling to Jesus saying, here it is. She comes to Jesus. The crowd follows him to the desert. The disciples follow. Jesus says, come follow me. People come to Jesus. How many of the stories we read of people interacting are people coming to Jesus? And sure, the Canaanite woman, she had wit and persistence and humility. She brought all those things to Jesus, believing that he could bring healing where no one else could. Time and time again, we see Jesus meet people right where they're at and offer salvation. Sometimes that salvation looks like healing, Sometimes it looks like eternal life, but in all cases, we see people coming to Jesus. I'm going to be honest. At times, uh, I I was taught from a very early age to beware good works. Uh, There was some particular issue, I think, that my Bible teachers growing up had and maybe the church I had, and they were really, really scared that people would be relying on their own good works for their salvation, and so I had it drilled into me really deep that your good works don't get you to heaven. That's kind of a problem because what it ended up doing in so many times in my life is I would do nothing rather than risk doing something out of pride. Now, waiting on God has its place, right? Call it patience. It's important. But... (laughs) Jesus also said, follow. He didn't say, stay here until I fix you. He said, come after me. He did not promise that it would be all candy and roses, but he does offer something of tremendous value. The page will turn. We've often said that being a Christian is more than a set of beliefs, but that it is a way of living those beliefs out into the world. The first followers of Jesus were said to be followers of the way, not believers in the ideas. The walk towards Jesus may start with a belief, but Jesus says, come to me. He invites us to walk with him. Do you sense Jesus' call to follow? In a few weeks, we're gonna be celebrating with some people who have openly acknowledged Jesus' call to them to follow, to make a public declaration of faith in the waters of baptism, who have come to Jesus, found him to be who he said he is, and ready to say to the world that Jesus is the Lord of their life. Now, I'll admit there's all kinds of reasons to be scared of a public declaration of faith. And I remember that Jesus said, There'll be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner that repents. Remember that? Jesus is calling. Maybe you haven't yet submitted your life to Jesus. Maybe you still have a lot of questions. That's good. Jesus likes questions, we do too if you want to know more about what it means to follow Jesus, there are people here that would love to share that with you. Maybe in the not-so-distant past, you have said yes to Jesus. Maybe for the very first time, maybe for the thousandth time, and you want to make a moment of that. We want to celebrate that with you. Jesus himself said, believe and be baptized, which is a way of marking us as one of his family, If you're ready to follow that call into the waters of baptism, we just want to remind you that, once again, we have some interest meetings coming up. They're going to be on July 31st, August 7th, and August 14th, right after the service. Jesus is calling us to follow. And if you're ready to make that statement of, yes, I will follow, we would love to celebrate that in baptism with you. Over and over again, Jesus acknowledges faith in him. Each time someone has come to him in faith, he responds. Maybe not always in the way they hoped, but his great compassion ultimately took him to the cross to cover a debt that we cannot pay. He invites us to come to him, to bring him our cares, our worries, our joys, our successes, to lay those things down at his feet we're reminded of the words that Paul wrote in a letter to the church at Corinth. He said, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. Would you join me in a word of prayer? God, give us the courage to take the first step. God, as we sang before, you are good. Would you remind us that it is your goodness that follows us? all the days of our lives. God, would you remind us that there is a power for living in the gift of your Holy Spirit. God, we ask for courage and boldness and persistence to come to you with the things that weigh us down, which keep us up at night, which give us great joy. God, we ask for your healing in our lives. And God, for those who are on the cusp, God, I ask that your spirit would move mightily in their hearts, that they would be moved to take a step towards Jesus, and that we could join in the celebration that you have in heaven and that we will will have on earth when that one comes back to you. God, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we've said so many times before, we just want to say thanks for spending a little time with us. For more information about how you can become a part of the South Harbor Church community, visit us on the web at www.southharbor.org. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at South Harbor Church. And on Sundays at 10 a.m., you can find our services streamed live on our Facebook page. And so once again, from all of us here at South Harbor Church and the Harbor Churches, we want to wish you a blessed week.